I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, you guys, welcome back. This is our fourth episode on trauma. And today I would like to read through and work with all the posts on Patreon. It'd be incredibly hard for me to take such broad strokes with trauma without having exact examples, because of course, every situation is so nuanced and it's so different depending on what trauma is, how you filtered it, how you react. So I think a really good jumping off point for us would be to read these situations and work through them. I want to remind you that trauma work can be done with a therapist. If you think it's affecting your parenting, I am available for parent coaching. So just know that. I want to jump in because anything else I want to say, (laughs) I can say through these posts. So I want to start with Pat who wrote, narcissistic grandparents and how to break toxic patterns that stem from how a person may have been brought up. In many ways, even if a relationship with the toxic person is cut off or kept at arm's length, the way you were brought up does create patterns, such as expecting your kids to be grateful for food, clothes, basic toys, etc. I would be keen to know if you have any tips on how to break that and what's normal. So I think that's a good question, but it's also a big question. And, And there's two parts to it. Let's first tackle what's normal, because I do feel like that is, that's a sort of separate question. And one of the problems I think we have today is that we're parenting and bringing up our kids in vacuums, simultaneously getting way too much information from the internet. And it is really hard to track like what's average, what's normal. And it really depends a lot on like, do you subscribe to a philosophy? Because that may or may not be screwing you. So for instance, what's normal? I often get clients who claim to subscribe to a quote unquote gentle parenting technique or that they don't discipline. And so they have this philosophy of gentle parenting. And then they'll come to me literally because their child is so reactive that they're violent. They're throwing things like like plates, like big things. They're causing damage. The parents are actually afraid of the child. The child's so volatile. And so apparently, and I've worked with enough clients to know this is true, apparently that's okay in in gentle parenting circles that it's on the parent to be even more gentle or they're not doing something right. That behavior is not normal. But within a certain subset, they might say, well, your child's wild, or you know, it might be condoned. So 
quote unquote normal is really hard to define. I do think though there are, and that's often to do with your value system, right? So what's normal will have to do with your value system for you. I will say like the issue of kids being grateful for food, clothes, basic toys, et cetera, that can be linked to trauma, but it also is an expectation that some parents have. And I usually think that that stems from resentment from doing too much. So once we start, particularly as moms, this is a mom trait, but although it can happen with dads, we start doing too much. We get strung out, we get tired, we get resentful. And that's when we start in with, do you know, some kids don't even have blah, 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 blah. That's how I relate that expectation. There's also some of this that I've, I've talked about in past episodes, banking behavior, like expecting good behavior because you did, you went out of your way to prepare their favorite meal, or you went out of your way to stop for ice cream. So that should buy you an evening of good behavior. And like, kids just don't work like that. One of the things that we always have to remember with our kids is they don't have a broad scope of knowledge or experience, right? So you can't, it means nothing. Like I go back to the days where I don't, when I was growing up, it was like, finish your plate because there are starving kids in Africa. I never gave a shit about the starving kids in Africa. Like, when do you get that empathy? I don't know. Maybe, maybe my twenties, I started to realize like, oh, there are bigger issues in the world, but like expecting any kid under 14 for sure to like actually be like, oh, okay, yes, I'm going to eat all my food because there are starving children. Like they just don't have the frame of reference. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's a tricky topic because that may or may not be related to trauma. Now, when you have a toxic person and you're right, like that's the rub of, of trauma work, right? That's the whole crux of trauma work is it's not necessarily the person in front of you, it's how you're reacting. It's how you were brought up that you have an entirely different way of coping with life than somebody else because based on how your parents raised you. So again, it's the awareness I would look for, just like I said in the last episode, it's really about the awareness. A couple of things that for me are red flags in parenting is it's very personal. But for me, when I open my mouth, I literally can feel like my face looking just like my mother's. And it's distressing to me. Um, I can, not that my mother is not, not, I mean, I like how my mother looks, but the fact that I, I am actually making the face that when she was unpleasant, you know what I mean? That's a red flag. I also base it on, I see in front of me, I see Pascal react. And it might be, especially as he gets older, it might be a flash. It might be a flash of shame. It might be a flash of pain. It might be a flash of defense. And so I can see that something happened and that's not a current parenting for me when I see that. I also feel like it's a point where I feel very just yucky that I feel like I'm dealing with old stuff. So I think finding those moments that you don't like about your parenting and exploring those. And of course, that's it's best worked with somebody else because, again, you do need to find out what's normal. You do need to find out where your boundary is, where your values are. And it gets very, very tricky just trying to like answer that in a broad sense. But it's really about catching those moments because I do work with parents who feel icky setting boundaries, but that's because they have no experience with it. And so it feels mean. So it's not always a gauge of like, I don't like how I'm parenting. It's more trying to really slow down your process. And it may, it may take a really 
long time. Of course, it's expedited again if you can work with somebody, but sometimes it just, it's making a lot of mistakes, apologizing to your kids and then examining it later. So with all of this work, and I know you guys are in the trenches of parenting, but it does require self-reflection. You know, you have to sit and say like, what just happened? What, like, if I slow down that transaction, that emotional transaction I just had, what just happened? And then you go, because, oh, I, I can see how that directly relates to how I was raised. I do think it's worth noting. So Kat replied, I too, through trauma work, have recently discovered that both my parents gaslight as their primary language. I'm sorry about that because gaslighting sucks. And my dad is probably a full-on narcissist. So now I'm navigating, reworking those relationships, grieving the loss of my parents, feeling like an orphan as a result, and making sure I don't do the same thing to my girls and protect them from their grandparents, grieving the loss of my childhood while shepherding my two girls through theirs. That is the most intense statement I have heard. And it hit me right in the gut when I read it, because that's the big issue. Grieving the loss of my childhood while shepherding my girls through theirs. And I think that's the work we're all doing here, right? So that's the hardest thing. A couple of things to blend that in with Pat's. If you feel like you have to protect your child from a relationship, I want to give you full permission to cut that relationship off. Okay. So if you feel like you have to be in the room, you have to be sort of translator. So when your parents say something really douchey, you can be like, um, well, what I think you mean. So if you have to translate, you have to examine, is that relationship worth having in your life? And more and more, I used to be an extremely fiercely loyal person and just did not believe in cutting people off. And more and more I am, it's just, it's not worth the mental gyrations to keep toxic people in your life. And I always say you can cut people off, but leave the door open. You know, like if they can come back to you with some semblance of, hey, I've been working on my shit or, hey, I really see your point or, hey, I I realized through my own therapy that I'm fucking this up, then I'm always willing to open the door, right? Like the cutoff doesn't necessarily have to be a hard cutoff for the rest of life. Grieving the loss of my parents. I think that's really important because we do have to, we have to grieve the loss and it can be a physical, it can actually be physical. Like if you cut them off or if you, if they die before you do any, any confrontation or any work with them, right? You can grieve that. You can also grieve your childhood. I know this personally. So there is a way you have to sort of meet your parents. One of the things you have to do is step outside. So I'll give an example from my own life because I, again, find that's helpful. Uh, moving, I had my son in San Francisco. I was in San Francisco for 20 years. I was away from my mother. And then I moved back and lived in very close proximity to my mother. And there were a lot of wonderful things about it. And my mother was amazing, amazing, amazing grandmother, amazing with Pascal, an amazing help. She was everything I didn't have as a child. And so when Pascal was about two, my mind nearly broke a little bit because it was so hard to see her be so great when she wasn't so great with me. So I really did have to like, not only grieve the loss of my childhood, but actively see that she could do better. (laughs) You know what I mean? Which I think might almost be harder. And then I had through a series of events, I was able to really I was able to really step outside and observe my mother is emotionally arrested at 12. And I can see it now very clearly once I reframed it like that, because 
that's when her dad died. And it was in a time when there weren't really single mothers. She was the oldest. She had to take charge. There were all these things that had to happen at that time in her life. And so reframing it as, oh my God, my mother stuck emotionally at 12. I cannot expect a reply. I cannot expect a process that is more advanced than a 12-year-old. And when I tell you, you guys, that changed everything for me, like it changed everything for me. It was amazing because I was like, oh, I don't expect more from her than I would a 12-year-old. And so, but But, 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 but I literally, before that happened, there was an altercation in our, in our family and the whole family hated me. The whole family was like, you know, wouldn't speak to me. It was craziness. And then I, that's when I realized it. So, but I was like, going to move back to San Francisco. I mean, I had to go through the whole like internal turmoil. It was kind of, it was kind of crazy. But then once I was like, oh, wait a minute, why is she acting like a 12 year old? And then I was like, because she is. And so when we can sometimes see compassion or where our parents are coming from, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy (laughs) and it's very, very healing, but there is also, I feel like a really amount of grieving the loss and working through the drama and the, like the angst of that all. So I'm going to move on lest I get repetitive as I do. So Sam wrote, We lost my little brother about a month after his 14th birthday, and I'm also a healthcare professional that spent seven years working in a pediatric ER seeing the worst of the worst. I live with the fear and anxiety that one day I will lose both of my children in some terrible twist of fate. I get anxious when my husband takes the girls in the car, when he has them and doesn't answer his phone, and that they will become fatally ill, et cetera. I often wonder if my children will one day report to a therapist that I was too attached or protective as a result of this. So a couple of things that I wanted to mention is... Hey, Sam, your your kids are going to go to a therapist and report something anyway. (laughs) So I kind of want to relieve you of that guilt. I would say there's a couple of things here. The type of trauma you've experienced, EMDR would be the best therapy for you. So if you could find an EMDR therapist, I think it would be remarkably helpful for you. So that's, as I said in the defining or the last episode, EMDR is best suited for impact trauma, right? Like there's one event. I do know, I mean, I think it's just, there's certain things like the nature of the beast. So one of my best friends is an ER, a a pediatric uh, ER. And so again, she's seen the worst of the worst. Now I grew up, my dad, my stepdad, uh, he manages the Department of Transportation snow removal. So he would come home with like every horrific story about snow. So I'm in New England and I just don't like to drive in the snow. So she was busting my chops. She was like, you need to go, you know, you're a New Englander. You need to be out in the snow. And I was like, no, I've heard too many horrific stories. There's no reason I can just stay home. There's no reason for me to leave my house. And then when she heard that, she goes, oh, I get it. Like I was a pediatric ER. She said, I don't, I don't let my kids, you know, my kids are never going to touch a lawnmower because I've just seen like limbs taken off with lawnmowers. So, you know, I think there is going to be some part because of your job, you're going to be more cautious than most about certain things. But I would also, you know, caution like number one, just generalized anxiety. Again, that might be a good place for some medication to keep you nice and sane. And then I would say, how is it affecting your kids? So you might be protective, but I mean, your husband does take the girls in the car and he, it sounds like you're managing it fairly well. So my question would be like, how much is it ripping you apart? So like, are you able to actually be present with your kids and how much is it affecting your kids' lives? Like, you know, is this escalating? Like all of a sudden you're like, no, 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 we're not going on a car trip. And so that's how I would gauge 
that sort of trauma. But again, I think you're a perfect candidate for EMDR and EMDR works really quick. So I would see if you can find a therapist in your area and have a few sessions because I think you could really lessen. Again, it moves the trauma in the back of your brain. So it just sort of, it just eases it. It eases it a lot. So Lenka wrote, for me, I grew up in scarcity. There were so many fights over money between my parents while growing up. For example, I have never had one vacation with my family. I am financially stable now and I am able to provide for my family, but the fear of lack is still there. I'm working with my therapist on this. My husband thinks I am overcompensating for what I did not have with my four-year-old son. We give him lots of experiences like ski lessons and many nature camping trips, et cetera, but I also buy him toys and books, even though he has plenty already. Scarcity is a very interesting thing. And yes, so you are overcompensating for sure. But the the point is, is the overcompensation damaging? And the reason I say this is I'm going to directly relate some of my experience, my personal experience and see if it helps. (laughs) So I grew up in scarcity as well. And I grew up very quickly. uh, We were wealthy. And then when my parents got divorced, my father decided to totally screw over my mother. So then we were like dirt poor. So it wasn't even like I grew up in scarcity. I grew up wealthy and then dirt poor. So the dirt poor years, it's really interesting because my older sister, my younger brother, like it all affected us just differently. How it affects my brother is he is unable to, um, he has zero patience for waiting. Like he wants what he wants when he wants it and he's going to get it and he's not going to, he's not going to research it. It doesn't matter. I remember he had like this huge widescreen TV that literally did not fit in his living room. Like it was through the door. So you had to kind of like go through the doorway around this TV. And I was like, dude, like, did you have to get this size? And he was like, I wanted it. Right. So he was younger. My sister, it affected her. She's like super tight with money, make sure their savings. Like she's very cautious spender. And I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Now, I often say to people, Pascal, I'll often say that he's spoiled, but he's not entitled. He's my only kid and I do have scarcity. So I I make sure he has nothing. Scarcity, I was just telling a friend of mine, class difference totally fucks you over. Like I remember being in high school while I was dirt poor and it, it totally affected how I was, how I became a person. It was everything. And so, so I'm the same way I overcompensate. I am aware of it though. And Pascal isn't entitled. He, he doesn't expect it. He doesn't ask for it for Christmas. I got him AirPods. He cried. He wasn't expecting it. So I feel like it's not necessarily a bad thing unless your child's like super entitled. I think it just depends on when the lack came about and how it affected you. And I think sometimes for me, like I literally have to calm myself sometimes and say like, Hey, I have plenty of money in the bank. You know, that was this Christmas. I was like, Oh, $5 Christmas. We're going to keep it to the minimum. And I was like, I actually have a little extra to spend, like go nuts, mom. (laughs) And one of the things I did is instead of overcompensating with him, I don't know, Link, if this is your issue, I'm terrible about myself. So like he'll get extra. And I, guys, I walk around in yoga pants that are eight years old. Like, come on. (laughs) So I treated myself to some really nice snow boots, some really nice hiking boots, um, some smart wool. And I haven't spent money on myself like that. So that was part of it too. And maybe Lenka, that's, that's another thing is instead of lavishing it on your son, maybe you can lavish some of that on yourself. And I think so much of our trauma, and I'm going to say something about this at the end, so much of our trauma is about reparenting ourselves. So we say it's not just how we react to our kids 
but it's how we didn't get treated. And actually, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to talk about it now. So reparenting yourself is oftentimes recognizing where the lack was. So narcissistic, gaslighting, not being heard, not being allowed to express your feelings, being, you know, neglected, recognizing that that hole is there, that that lack, that wound is there. And sometimes, and this may sound kooky to some of you, but I'm telling you, it works wonders. It's literally, especially you're a parent now, you're a mom, you know how you would want to be responded to in those moments, right? So I had the trippiest experience one time. I was like, I was just like, I was feeling, I was having an issue with my mom and it wasn't a big deal. And I like went, I was waking up from sleep and there's like this state called hypnagogia in which kind of weird things can happen in this state. And I turned my head on the pillow and there was like 16 year old me kind of looking at me. And of course this is in my imagination, but I was like, what do you need? What do you need right now? And she told me, and she was like, I just need you to hear me. I just need you to hear my feelings. And I was like, I can do that. And so I like made this piece with this 16 year old version of myself that was just not ever heard, you know, and not allowed to express. And when you can find those moments that you feel that you're parenting badly, or you can feel the lack, you can feel where the damage was and turn around and answer that part of yourself the same way you would answer your child in front of you. It's fucking magic. And again, I know that sounds kind of woo-woo, but it's been so tremendously helpful for me over the years that I highly encourage it. And so Lenka, one thing that might be really healing for you is how to treat yourself and you, you know, recognizing those parts of you that oh my God, you were four years old and you were hungry. There was no food on the table. That is awful. And, you know, if you can even just spend a little time in in meditation, in your imagination, enveloping that child in love and letting them know that there is food now. And I think that might be really helpful. And treating yourself with some like, I'm a grown woman. I deserve nice yoga pants to work out in. So yeah, but also like sometimes knowing our overcompensations, again, it comes into play is like, is it doing harm? Because if not, then I think it's okay that you know you have an overcompensating manner here. I'm going to move on to Haley is two parts. One of the things I'd really love discussion about is codependency and this whole drinking culture and parenting. I stopped drinking as a result of all the work I had done and continue to do on myself. My parents weren't drinkers, but they were perfectionists and there is so much deep codependency in the world I come from. My husband doesn't have the same codependency issue like I do. So he, without even really knowing it, is an amazing help for me to recognize often times when my issues arise in parenting discussions and behavior. The problem is that I'm driving the ship in the house and do most of the day-to-day parenting and make all those small, important decisions that come up along the way. I would love your discussion on topics like addiction and codependency, eh, broad and wide. I know I'm throwing it out there in parenting. And then she said, talking about childhood wounds, trauma and therapy stuff is my favorite. (laughs) I love talking about this stuff, you guys. I just think this is this is what makes us human. So number one, I agree about the drinking culture in parenting. And I started noticing it. I don't drink either because of the family I came from, because of the work I do, and it just doesn't fit into my lifestyle. So it makes me keenly aware of people's addictions. And I think mom culture, it's very, it's very, very rampant. And I belong on enough groups. It's so funny on Facebook. Um, you know, I do intermittent fasting. I live a like low carb 
keto, carnivore lifestyle. And it's really funny when you bring up giving up wine and seeing people like react. And I'm like, is anybody going to address the fact that like giving up wine seems so horrific to some people? I used to share like funny parenting memes about wine o'clock and wine in, you know, and I even have it in my book and I feel awful about it that like, if you put wine in your Cheerios while you're potty training, I'm not going to judge, but it's really rampant. And I think what's happening is motherhood is lonely. And we now know that. And it's really hard because you're expected to be all things to all people. And you got a two-year-old. I'm sorry. I know you love your two-year-old to pieces, but your two-year-old is not an interesting conversationalist. Your two-year-old is not your friend. And while you might get immense joy and satisfaction in watching how interesting your child is, they're not an interesting partner in your life. Okay. And so that's where I find motherhood gets so lonely and we don't talk about it and we start judging. It's an addiction and it numbs out the pain and it makes you tired and it makes you not your best self. So I would encourage you to examine your relationship with alcohol. And if it feels like you just can't give up your wine at the end of the night, I would really look at that. And, you know, I'm not claiming that that automatically means you're addicted, but I would definitely look at it. Codependency, like I said last episode, is one of those weird things that kind of slips through your fingers, right? But how I work with codependency is just having to please others and living your life, not being afraid to be authentic, making sure that everybody's taken care of but you and putting everybody else's needs first. And I just think that that's so rampant. You know, I don't know that that's trauma-based as much as it's culture-based right now. It's rampant in our parenting, where particularly mothers, but dads too. Like we're supposed to be attending to every fucking need. Like I really want to bring back benign, neglectful parenting. Like you don't have to be there for every reaction your child has. Like you don't have to process every single thing. You most certainly should not be entertaining your child all day long. But we have this cultural expectation right now that you are on 100% anything less. You know, you're a terrible parent. And I do think it's very interesting because I think men generally suffer less from codependency. So I think it's a great lesson Um Pascal is such a teacher for me in this area because he really doesn't have it. And it's like, I don't know, let them have their thoughts. Or <laughs> I'm like, yes, but they must like me. And he's like, no, ma, they don't have to like you. So I'm glad you have a partner. And I would just really keep looking at him for lessons on it. I also think like when we reframe that our toddlers really are masters of not having codependency, they don't give a fuck what you think. They're going to do their thing. And so, you know, you take your child's lessons that they're giving you. But generally speaking, again, we go back to this like overstretched, wanting to please everybody. And sometimes it is just making your needs known and saying them. And it's very tricky. I have just found... I'm going to make a huge generalization, but I have just found that men are not so great at seeing what needs to be done, but more than happy to do anything you ask. And so I want Pascal to see what needs to be done, but then I get aggravated. I get mad and I don't know why, but it just seems that maybe it's that linear thinking. It's that like A to B and it's just not kind of scoping the whole environment. I don't know. And again, I realize this is a huge generalization, but just the other day I knew I was going to get mad at him for something. Oh, I know I had to. So my, my tiny little house, I don't have a washer and dryer. There's no hookup. So we have to go to a laundromat and he had his basket. I had my basket and we did grocery shopping while the clothes were being done. So I think it's really funny because people think I'm like this uber rich author. And I'm like, you know, I go to the laundromat, right? <laughs> so anyway, we're in the car, we get home and I'm going to take 
I'm going to take the groceries. And I wanted him to see that he could take my basket. I wanted him to offer. And I knew he wasn't going to. And I knew in an instant I was going to get pissed off. And so I just said, hey, bud, I'm going to go in and put the groceries away. Can you come back out and get my laundry basket? And he's like, yeah, sure. No problem. Done. Done. So I think it's just really the codependency thing is like making sure you say what your needs are so other people can help you meet them. Now, the next question Haley brought up was sibling fairness and letting each kid be who they are without bending myself backwards constantly is a hot spot for me. I overcompensate for hearing each of them and making them feel heard, understood, getting their needs met. For me, my brother, Irish twin, and he's older, was, is a superstar child athlete, famously handsome, and also battled and beat rare bone cancer for the entirety of our childhood. I was the healthy one and always had to be okay. My problems were never as big as his and combined with are, as I now know to be dysfunctional family systems, bubbled up when my kids were first born. I notice all the time now with my two kids, five and three and a half, the nonstop energy flow, conflict resolution, emotional validation, coping stuff between them with me is a lot. I am literally nonstop until bedtime when we are all home together. I'm constantly putting my years of therapy to the test to stop projecting these issues I suffered but sometimes I just run myself down with what I know and still fall flat on it. I also baby the younger one because I feel bad for him when his big sister gets her praises and beats him to the answers or whatever it is. And then I feel bad for taking those feelings away from her. Is it birth order or my own projections? Is my oldest being helpful and duly mature by accommodating her younger brother? Or is, are her needs neglected and her self-esteem low? I'm grappling with these questions and similar ones lately. Sometimes it becomes a rabbit hole of overthinking and I trust in the self-work I have done, but it comes up all day long. Oh, Haley, my love, take a breath. Take a breath and accept my virtual hug. So this is a big deal. Number one, I also think if you could find a local EMDR therapist, this would be awesome for you because I do think having dealt with such a, childhood illness in your brother as cancer. Like I can see how, wow, that must've just done a number on you. And I also think probably mixed into you were the healthy one and somewhat neglected. I'm sure you, there's like some guilt layered on it. It's like my brother beat bone cancer. How can I be upset about this? So that's another layer that kind of sucks. Right. But I would definitely recommend EMDR to deal with the childhood stuff. And I know that it was an impact trauma, but I think there's probably some moments that you can really remember that would be super effective with EMDR. Now, as far as the sibling things, and I know this is a big deal for a lot of parents who are not only unpacking trauma as they're parenting, but parenting more than one kid. I think this is so important. And this is how I think of relationships, marriage, parenting, more than one child. It is never, ever 50-50, ever, 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 ever. And it's 80-20 at all points in time, relationships, friendships, marriage, parenting kids, okay? It's just making sure that the 80-20 balances out, okay? So if you keep trying to go 50-50, it's just not going to work. Somebody is always carrying a heavier load. It's just who's carrying it and do you switch off, okay? And so that's like, make sure, number one, in your marriage that you're not taking the 80-20 all the time. And sometimes that is like, Haley, I want to give you permission. You've communicated with me enough on Patreon. I want to give you full permission to put shit aside and just like be present with your kids. You are working so hard on all your stuff. But like you said, you can just start overthinking and tripping out. 
your kids are fucking awesome. I'm telling you right that right right now. Like you're I can tell by the way you write that you're turning, you're going to turn out amazing kids, but sometimes we have to like stop overthinking it and stop um, trying to manipulate the relationship. So with all this work, be cautious that you're not trying to manipulate perfect parenting and like squeezing yourself into that box. Spend some days neglecting your kids. (laughs) Spend some days not being the referee. No, both of you go to your room. I'm not even arguing. Birth order, you cannot help birth orders. Old, the oldest kid is always going to be intense, is going to be perfectionistic, is going to usually buck up against your rules, but kowtow at the same time. Second kids are, are totally wild. Fuck you. No rules apply to me. I am a second child. <laughs> um, they tend to be peacekeepers if there's another child. So birth order does definitely have to do something with this. If she's cutting off your younger son, your younger, I think he said son, right? It's okay to say, listen, don't be a jerk. He's little, let him answer. Like you don't have to be, you don't have to cater to everybody's needs in a positive way. Sometimes kids are just being jerks and older kids, the older sibling can often be a jerk and that's okay. Like it's part of, it's part of growing up, you know, but I would concentrate less on fairness and bringing up maybe their strengths, you know, and you can work with your older, like, Hey, let's, you know what? You always answer the questions. Can we do something? So he gets, he gets to feel good about himself. Cause like right now you're crushing him. And so you can kind of name it for your, for your older kid. But I think, um, it sounds to me that I don't think older kids, t- they tend towards profession, perfectionistic, and that has its own detriments, but I generally don't think they have, they don't suffer from low self-esteem. I think there's some power in just being the oldest. So I don't think you have to necessarily worry about that. And of course, that's a huge generalization, but I would definitely just ease off. You know what I'm saying? Like if you can kind of do some of your, some of the work, you know, through squinty eyes. And I know it's hard because like, I feel the same way. Sometimes I know too much. Do you know what I mean? Like I know too much and I'm too understanding and I'm trying too hard because I know what comes down the pipeline. But I think that just eradicate the idea that it's 50-50 and each needs that 50-50. It's (laughs) 80-20. So, and I would be aware of it's like, are you just, are you feeling bad for your younger do you just feel bad because in real time your older is being a little jerk or you just feel bad? Or is that is that steeped in trauma because you feel like there's like a replication of what happened with you guys? Your children are never going to suffer the same thing you suffered because what you suffered was such an extreme example. You know, getting and beating cancer is it was a shitty situation. It is unfair. And of course you were the healthy one. And of course they neglected you. I can just see how that happens in families with that kind of situation, but know that like your kids are never going to experience that depth that you did because you don't have something so severe going on. Okay. Um, Carrie had written about food, but I'm going to do a whole nother issue on sugar addiction, food, body image, all we do as women when we get anxious and have to deal with our fucking shit, how it comes into food. Let me talk really quickly. Trisha wrote, I'm struggling raising twin boys that will be seven next month. My husband doesn't really give them any rules or follow through with getting them to listen. So I have to constantly work on getting them to listen since he doesn't. And it's quite frustrating for me. He tunes us all out. Then I'm frustrated with the parenting chores. My mom was a yeller and I find myself falling back on that, which I don't want to do. Help. So mom being a yeller definitely creates some trauma, but it sounds like to me, and I've talked 
a lot about this. This is like, you guys aren't on the same page. And so what I really recommend is going through the core values chapter in my book. Oh crap, I have a toddler. Go through that. And if you're still having a hard time, but your husband's willing, willing to come to the table, then it'd be great if you guys, you know, if you need, like I said before, if you need a quick session to help you through navigating that, that'd be awesome. I'm happy to do that because the issue here is that you're just not on the same page and no matter, you can do all the work in the world, but if he just is allowed to orbit in his own, uh, you know, space, you're just going to take on more and more of the work. And then you're just going to get more and more bitter. You're going to get exhausted. And so oftentimes parents come to me and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. First of all, we got to work through these core values because if you don't, you're going to do too much. And if he's doing his separate work, he might be doing too much or not enough. It's really important that you guys get on the same page before anything. And I can tell already, yeah, that you're exhausted And I'd be curious if there's like, if he has some reasoning, is he lazy? It does he, what's his trauma? Does he, you know, feel like, was he, um, brought up in a really strict, oppressive environment? So there's always a reason kind of why we act the way we do and the way we sort of come at parenting. So I would try to get to the bottom of that so that you guys can split the parenting. Cause that is very, very, very frustrating. Okay. Uh, last one is from Sky. I'm really looking forward to this segment of podcast. I've been struggling with being a parent, coping with the loss of my mother and reconcile some of my anger and issues with my mom, which is one-sided because she isn't here anymore. My mother was amazing on so many levels, but she was also really emotionally manipulative. I have long since referred to Christmas as emotional terrorism. To this day, I still hate giving and receiving gifts because I expect a huge blowback for either not being appreciative enough or having gotten the wrong gift. I have a lot of trust issues because I was often told I could be honest and transparent, but eventually I learned that everything I shared would become cannon fodder for the future. Oh, girl, I hear you there. I could share and be honest as long as it was within the boundaries of what I was allowed to be. Otherwise, it devolved into a huge fight that would result in weeks of silence. When I went to college, my mom used to complain that I lived two lives, the one I brought home and the one I didn't share. I never felt safe combining the two spaces. I still separate my life that way in a lot of ways. I do worry that my issues reflect in my parenting and I try to be consistent, not say one thing or allow something and then flip on it because I know that makes the environment feel unsafe. But sometimes I think I'm too lenient and I allow my son to get away with things because I don't want to engage in conflict. In my attempt to not be my mother, I think I give him too much freedom and not enough safe boundaries. But every time I try to fix that, I feel like I'm not consistent and I'm just confusing him on what the rules are. I was also constantly compared to my friends and cousins. Why can't you be like that kind of stuff? So I'm overly sensitive when my in-laws compare my son to their other grandchildren or children. I find myself not wanting to go to their houses, which isn't fair to my son who likes to play with his cousins. I don't want to yell. I don't want to play manipulative games to get my son to behave. I truly want to create a space in the future where he feels comfortable confiding in me. But I also want to do this governing stage better so he has a solid foundation for those other stages. He's still a toddler. This is so great. There's a lot here, and I think it applies to all of us. The number one thing that I see, and I've said this throughout the month, in trauma trauma work is that we all have a hard time. Um, we all have a hard time with boundaries. And I think that's just in general. And I think, again, it's skewed by the current uh, culture of parenting that we're expected to be all things at all times. And so the boundaries 
that's the thing about the governing stage, right? And and what I keep repeating over and over again is if we do this stage, quote unquote, right, or, you know, reasonably well, and we govern and set the rules and boundaries, then we have this like super cool thing that happens later. And I know this is probably a real leap of faith for you guys. Cause I'm here every day saying, yeah, look at like, I have this great relationship with Pascal. This works. I see it. I see it with my clients, but you guys probably see a different thing within your circles. And so it's a leap of faith to know like, okay, well, if I act like the strict one now, when none of my friends are that I'm going to benefit later when they're stuck. So I would say the whole thing, number one, Since your mom died, that's incredibly hard. And what I would encourage you guys that if you have words you need to say to your parents, I would encourage you to say them now while they're still alive, because it is very hard once your parent dies, like you're left with, you know, as Sky said, this one-sided argument. I do think with loss of a parent, again, the EMDR can be a fabulous way to sort of relocate the trauma. I think getting a really good therapist and you can tell them that this is my not, and it doesn't have to be a really good therapist in general, but this, you could do this in a very short amount of time, which is like, just tell the therapist that you need to focus. You need to do a lot of projection and transference work and you need the therapist to be your mom so that you can, and that is traditional therapy. That is what happens is, you know, it's called transference and the the therapist takes on being your parent so you can work through your shit like in the room. And so you could do that and really say the things that need to be said and get it out. Cause the saying the things that you need to say right now, it's kind of spinning in your head, you know? And the other thing is that would help you reparent yourself because I'm sure the therapist would say, you know, different therapists work different ways, but I know that I've worked with some like super short term, like, Hey, this is what I need. And I need you to pretend to be emotionally manipulative. So they can like reply in real time, like as uh, your mom might reply. Right. So you could even work out a script, which would be really cool. And then you could also get somebody to reply the way you needed to be replied to. And so again, that, that kind of reparenting work can be super powerful, you know, go over, I would encourage so much journaling with this. Like, again, you could do a script of like how your mom might've replied at Christmas and how you needed her to reply. And you can keep creating these like really cool mantras in your head of like, oh, what a great gift you got me. Thank you. (laughs) And, um, oh no, no, honey, you've already said thank you enough. You don't need to thank me anymore for this gift. You could literally re-script it. And I've done that for a lot of different, you know, if I have exact examples where I know how my family would have replied, I re-script it. And so I get, it really goes in. It, It hits that inner child who hears the right parenting. The trust thing, I think, is just learning how to trust again. That's really hard. I hear you loud and clear, and I still have that. And that's how it was with my family. And I let out information slowly. Like, it takes me a long time to trust somebody. And I've had, you know, when I've shared that I was engaged to that narcissist, like, it was very interesting because I was very slow to give him information. So there was a part of me that didn't trust him. But sure enough, there were things like when you share about your trauma or your emotional past, um, there were definitely things that were used against me. And so for me, some of that is just, you know, take your time. You don't have to jump into trust for anybody. It's, it's okay. I think it's just going slow with yourself, you know, and, and you get more and more 
comfortable with it. I've also made peace with the fact that people are shitty and I can't not trust and become hardened because people were shitty. And that has helped me recently. And that just might be an age thing or like I've passed through a certain amount of trauma, but I go, yeah, people suck. People suck and they've hurt me. And I have a little scratch on my heart, but I'm not going to be bitter about it. And I'm not going to let it prevent me from opening my heart to other people because everybody is new, you know? And so I kind of have that mantra going on and that really helps me. I think like for you, number one, there's two boundary issues. There's the boundary with your kid and there's the boundary with your in-laws. And I would honestly say, and people are super compassionate when you're really vulnerable with your in-laws. If there's the opportunity, I would say, you know what? My mom used to compare me to my cousins and it really made me feel bad. And I'm just very sensitive when you compare our boy to your other grandkids. And I'm just you know, I just want to let you know that I get a little sensitive about it and I'm not expecting you to change, but um, sometimes, you know, it's hard for me. Usually when you're that vulnerable, you get a really good response unless they're dicks. And then you just have to be like, they're just dicks. (laughs) In my attempt to not be my mother, I think I give him too much freedom. Yeah, of course. Like I think we all do that. And my bottom line is again, is it working? Is it affecting your kid? So some kids can have a large amount of freedom. They don't need it. They don't struggle with boundaries. Pascal has always had a lot of freedom because he, he's not a um, he's not a wild kid. I didn't have to do a lot of fencing in. Do you know what I mean? Like even at 14, he's never like looked for Christmas presents. He's not a mischievous kid. He's never pushed the boundaries real, real far. So some kids you can give a lot of freedom to. So I would say that, do you see your child kind of afraid of you? Is the way you're parenting affecting him? And that's where we, I think you have to be just a little bit cautious and say, well, no, it's not affecting him. Or I mean, everything we do is going to affect them, right? So if you're too lenient though, and you see him being confused and you see him a little scared of you, then absolutely, you just have to do the boundary work. And what I would do is lay out like, where do you think you're being too lenient? And I would just pick a couple of, of things. I would just say like, I definitely think bedtime is a great place to have boundaries. Bedtime, start with that. Start with maybe meal times. Start with just a couple of areas and stay really firm in those boundaries. Boundaries is a muscle and you build it slowly. Or, you know, feel like, oh, well, I'm too lenient with him and now he's being he's being a little shithead. Then you know that's a hot spot. <laughs> Again, though, it's just, it's a practice. And I think if you just start small, you'll build the muscle. I hear you that you don't want to yell. You don't want to play manipulative games. I don't think you need to play games, but I do think we subtly are manipulating everybody at all times. Like no, no kid just really behaves. <laughs> like we're always manipulating. It doesn't always have to be like have a nefarious, a nefarious intent. When you look at the future and creating a space where he feels comfortable, that space is created just by not shutting him down. So whenever he comes to you with, it's not fair, I don't like this, you have to listen. And that's how you create that space. The minute you shut down a kid and say, well, that's nonsense. You have no reason to be upset. You know, of course you're, of course you're hungry. You know, there are starving kids in Africa, any of those things that just shut the child down. And I would think like at this point, it's not really an issue because he's so young, but that's what you want to be careful of is you just want to, you want to keep the door open. Even now I have to sit on my, uh, you know, not sit on my hands. I have to like shut my big fucking mouth when Pascal is expressing something because his feelings valid, even if it's not right. And so I just keep creating that space where I'm I'm willing to hear, and I'm also willing to look at my shitty behavior. And that keeps him confiding in me, which is really good. 
yeah, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. That's the issue. Okay. So that was a lot. Again, I want to thank you guys for contributing to this conversation because it is super hard to think, you know, you can't just jump off a platform and be like, okay, today we're going to talk about this kind of trauma. So these examples, I feel like really, really good examples of how it affects us. So kind of, if we had to sum it up is make sure, do you need to work on it? So a lot of what I heard a lot of in this is like some general parenting struggles that don't necessarily have to be related to trauma. And there also can be some things related to trauma that don't necessarily, they're not wrecking your life. They're just kind of who you've become. You know, I am an over tipper. I tip ridiculously high. And I had somebody say, oh, that's a sign of self-esteem. And I said, or it could be a sign that I worked in the restaurant business for years. And I feel like making this person's day, you know, like there's not everything is related. So I would do that. And number one, like, just like I left the last episode, catch it. Can you start to notice it? Because once you start to notice it, then you can start to redo the dialogue. And I can't, I think it might sound really woo-woo, but if you can rewrite the script and give yourself, find, find the age. Oh my God, it was six. It was six when my mother acted like this at Christmas and it wrecked me. And every Christmas after that was exacerbated and then it got worse. Go back to that six-year-old. What do you need? And I think this is the joy of doing trauma work when you're a parent, because now you have this skill. Like when I was 28 doing my trauma work, I couldn't fathom what I needed as, you know, in reparenting myself because I wasn't a parent yet. Now that I'm a parent, I know exactly what I would say to a three-year-old or how I would handle three-year-old trauma. I know exactly what I would say to myself, uh, you know, my 10-year-old self who was shamed and, and traumatized. So I think um, there's some real beauty in that. And whether it looks, you know, you can get help through a therapist. I'm really good at that if you wanted to work with that with me. But sometimes it's just journaling. It's journaling the script that was, and it's journaling the script that you would like. And that's really cool. So once again, I'm going to do one more episode on this around food and, and all of that. And I hope this is helpful. I've gotten really good feedback from you guys. As always, I just... I want to be as helpful as possible. And sometimes I feel like I fall short because I can't get every scenario in every situation. But as always, you guys rock on and feel free to give me all the feedback and all the questions. Cheers. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, Yummy New Book Presale Treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.